Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by David Reed. David is an incredible chief technology and marketing officer at NOV. David, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah. I don't know what else to say. That's that's what I do, and I've been with NOV for about thirty-one years. So, how did you get started in the energy sector? Well, I studied architecture, so that that's how I got started. I wasn't very good, I suppose. Um, someone offered me a job in uh, Baker Hughes originally, and uh, I think it was a QA job. And I was like, okay, did that for a while, and then uh, someone from Barco uh, met me socially, and I was I'd actually studied. The culture differences between the states and and the UK, and mostly in construction, and why London was getting built by American companies, and um, I just shared that story. And the guy was having he was American working in Montrose and was having challenges, so he offered me a job in the repair workshop, which uh, was pretty odd for me. I didn't know anything about anything, but um, I really was interested in it. So I, I just kept going deeper. Once I got on rigs, I started designing machines, which I wasn't supposed to do. And then they moved me over to California to work on pipe handling systems. So when did you move over? Gosh, I was about 94. I went to California. Then 97, I came to Houston. Okay. That's such an, a big move for somebody so young. How did you handle that? Well, I was, I'd married a Californian, so... I'd, I'd been in California first and then moved back to Scotland. So she was, once she understood it was a, a California company, she was uh, pretty keen. <laughs> there we okay. go. Back. So when the opportunity came, I was, I was already interested. I'd lived there before. I think it was probably harder first time around. But being in a company which was, you know, allowed me to go back to Scotland and travel was, was all right. It made it work. It wasn't as much cultural shock. First time I really, I wasn't really planning on, being in the States. I just happened to marry someone from here, which didn't go down well when I didn't become an American for a long time. So it took us probably only a few years ago that I actually became an American. But they, uh, yeah, it was just interesting. I mean, I'd, it was where my work was and I traveled around. My wife was much happier in the States, so it worked out. Well, that sounds amazing. So do you think that your degree, master's, has helped you actually in the in your career because it's a totally different to to engineering architecture where where it really helped was in um in just thinking because engineers think differently than architects do so a lot of the leadership classes i've done for the company over years have been around how to think differently and be a bit more aware of your situation and aware of you know the environment that you're working in and because engineers will tend to solve problems, but but just kind of look at the problem as opposed to look at the context of the problem. So it ended up being really helpful. And then I think there's a lot of things. I think when I did it, there's so many subjects you cover and you're a real generalist in a lot of things, you know, but so things like structures and materials and environment and all of those things were really helpful. Um, law was one I hated doing, but it was really helpful, you know, so there was just a ton of, 
you know, you learn, you learn about all sorts of different things. Leadership and management is part of it. So, yeah, it was, it was all, and, and most of it I thought was useless when I was doing it. And then, you know, actually in oil and gas, I found ways to apply it. And I'm sure a ton of it wasn't helpful, but <laughs> I think design, if I, I mean, just the idea that you can do something and when you're in a situation that you should do something about it. Um, I mean, I was supposed to be measuring, I was in Norway measuring a, a rig for equipment for a bid. And I just, it was just wrong. So I just designed something else. And I'm not a mechanic or a mechanical engineer, but I mean, it seemed obvious. So I worked with some engineers there and just said, look, this is what I think we should do. Seems like we're missing the point here. And um, we should design this thing. And they were like, okay, that's good. And I priced it out and worked on doing it. And then I called my boss and he's like, that's not your job. Why are you doing that? You're supposed to be measuring for our existing equipment, not not looking at building equipment in Norway or designing things different. So it just happened to be that the management team was meeting the next day in Norway and I, they asked me to go show them what I had. And once they saw me and saw what I was doing, they were like, why don't you come over to California? So yeah, it did. In a lot of ways, it did help. I actually use architecture books teaching leadership, which is funny. You were saying before that you think the engineers think differently. How do you mean by that? Well, they usually they usually like to know the problem and get the definition of the problem. They'll get they'll focus on it and then they'll go solve it. You know, but but the context. You know, I mean, it was a great example. Here I was on a drilling rig, and we they made machines that could handle pipe up to twenty inch, and so the the Norwegians had made a law. Okay, all pipe handling will be, you know, now we know up to twenty inch of of OD pipe we can handle it. Then we'll just make that law. So I was there measuring for that on a semi-submersible that has, you know, 36 inch or bigger risers that were beating up, you know, the walls of the V-door and, and had people at risk uh, just guiding this giant riser. And um, I just said, well, why wouldn't you design a riser system that can handle pipe? And and that's that's what I proposed. But everyone else was focused on, well, the, the problem is we've got a 20 inch you know, we can do up to 20 inch. That's the law. That's what we should do here. Let's solve this problem. And uh, it just was obviously not the problem, but people didn't catch that because they were just thinking about what they were supposed to be doing. So everyone was bidding to this requirement when there was a lot more to notice in the environment that, that most most engineers will solve the problem, but not think of the context of what it's around. Okay. Interesting. So, did you have any role models during your career and why did you find them so inspirational? Well, when I when I found Barco, I mean, I think in big reviews, it was like, it was okay. It was just like any job, you know. And But once I got to Barco, they had a really strange leadership view that was very people-centric. And um, I, I was really taken with it. And so once I moved to California, I was just interested in the leadership team how they thought, what they did, because they were, I mean, when I when I interviewed, this was in 92, they all had Apple Mac computers, so we didn't have Windows yet. And so everyone had these Apple Macs and they had white screens and I was really interested in it. And I asked them, by the third interview, I'm like, so do I get one of these computers? And they went, yeah, yeah, everyone gets one. And in fact, we have a policy that there's also money available for you to buy a home computer because we want you to have that and a bicycle. And I was like, it was just strange to me. I was like, but they, they had great thought in what they were doing. They wanted you to be computer literate. They wanted you to be healthy. And it just was different. And they were very company, very uh, people focused in their thinking. I really liked it. I really liked how they thought. And I took a lot of risk because I'd worked in the States. I understood the logic of what they were saying. 
So I was, what everyone in the workshop thought was spending money, but creating a better environment for everybody, a safer place, you know, investing in people and in tools and in things that everyone else was a bit more scarcity thinking. They were just like, all right, we'll just get by. But all those things are good for psychology. So I really liked the people. So I got to, I mean, I got to have a lot of time with these guys before they retired, which was really nice. But they were investing in me. So they probably had about, I had about three years where I didn't get on a plane going somewhere without someone being there. And I didn't realize till later they were doing that on purpose. This was, this was mentoring. And I went back actually to my old boss and told him after he'd retired, I was like, you know, I talk a lot about you and how you mentored me. And he goes, what a horrible word, <laughs> mentoring. He said, what a horrible word. He said, I, we were colleagues and I liked what you did and you liked what I did. And we were just friends, you know, it was a good thing. And so they had a lot of psychology in what they did. Everyone had to have their desks, all special executives had to have their desks against the wall. You could never have a desk that someone sat on the other side of. And so there was nothing between you when you talked to people. And it was really strange, but it was really effective. So, you know, I liked a lot of what they did. They, they taught me tons. They would give me lots of feedback, which I'd never had in my career. So, when, I mean, immediately they told me what I was bad at and what I was good at. And... Um, I, I, at first I thought, you know, I'm in big trouble because they see what I'm not good at. And they're like, well, just don't do that. Let's do the things that you're really good at. And I was like, it's like having ice cream every day, you know. <laughs> Everybody gets to have fun, you know. You're like, really? Does that work? So, yeah, I was really impressed by that. And it took me a long time. I was very technology focused because they'd recognized I was good at inventing stuff. So I would invent a bunch of different things. But I learned over time it was really about people, and that, that's what they were doing. They were they, they always said it was about people, and the, the invention and the products and the business all follows. And uh, it took me a few years to work that out. So I, I was overworking and overworking everyone who worked for me until I realized balance was really important. Okay. So how do you manage a balance then between your team then? Well, you first you have to do it yourself. That's the worst part. Learning, learning how, how to, you know, have a good balanced family life, do your, do your right things with, with your own time, be a better human and then turn up in a better state, you know, for people. So it starts with that. Because people watch when you're leading other people, they all watch you to see what you do. And um, if they want to succeed, they go, oh, I'll just mirror that. I'll, that's, that's the behavior I'll have. So it's really important that you that you do think about yourself. And so that, that doesn't end that you're just working on the balance of yourself. But so, I mean, I do a bunch of charity stuff. I do a bunch of different things in my life that, that help me not, you know, me to actually have a good life and not just be about work. But when I'm at work, I'm, I'm a hyper producer. So I, I get a lot of things done, but I also don't do a lot of things I don't like. So it's just teaching people to, you know, really find out where they move the fastest and the best and get them in that lane. So I kind of obsess on my teams, on what they're doing, how they're feeling. I'll talk when when my direct reports have reviews with theirs. Um, I usually sit in, and most of that's to teach them how we want to be with people, you know. Because if if you can grow people and you can make them happy at their job, or nobody, we don't grow people, but if you create an environment where they can grow, um, they'll be happy and they'll stay and they'll produce great work and they'll be, you know, it's amazing if you make, if you give people a place to enjoy what they're doing, it's it's pretty infectious. I agree. I think it is as well. But it is interesting what you were saying that your team actually look to see, look to you to see how you're performing. That's quite interesting because you would never really think that there would be. Yeah. Well, 
some do, some don't. But I mean, generally, if someone wants to do well, I know when I when I was trying to do well, I'd look at my boss and go, "What do they do?" If your boss comes in early in the morning and leaves late, you tend to go, "Well, I'll probably do that." And I was doing that, and I was running people in the ground. Their families were a mess, but they were we were doing great work. But we could have done great work without doing those hours, and that's what I had to learn was how do you get people to produce a lot in a short period of time? Because I mean. Leadership's kind of like people get jobs where they're a leader and then they just try and make people do things. And I think you miss the point when you do that. You you end up just driving people to execute work. And this is not very exciting in life for anybody to just do that. But if you think of it as I've got people and I've got to help them grow, um, then they become happy and they start really producing and enjoying what they're doing. So when you leave the room, they're they're still going in the same direction as opposed to if you're just the boss and you leave the room, they just kind of slow down a bit because you're not there anymore, you know? So it's a, it's just human behavior. But if they're feeling like this is for me and I'm doing things that I like and I'm growing, they, they just do more, you know? Okay. So how do you effectively encourage and grow your your team then? Well, I spend a lot of time. It's often it looks like it's funny. Someone said this years ago, they were describing me and they said, it seems like I've got nothing else in the world to do. And I just wander into the office and talk with people. But it's not that. It's really purposeful. And they all know how busy I am. My schedule is very packed. But if I'm going to get a cup of tea or I'm going to have some, go get some water, go to the bathroom, whatever, it's always in a direction where I can engage with people. And I'll try and be around my teams, you know, at, you know, to just see how they're doing, you know, you can tell how people are just by walking by. And, and then, I, I mean, I don't sit there and talk to them like I'm their best friend. I'm, I mean, I have a, there's a relationship that's kind of weird because you're the boss, so people aren't going to, you know, suddenly tell you everything. But you, you can just get a feel for how people are doing by being around them. And then I'll talk to their bosses a bit about, you know, how do you think they're doing? And th- just think, of, you can tell just generally who's into it and who's not and, and find making people thinking that you know we're going to talk about how people are doing and how do we get them to a good place. It's a, there's some things you can't control people's home life or things that happened to them growing up. You can't do a lot about that, but you can work on you know where 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 do you do great work and talk about that. That happened to me. I don't think if I'd stayed in Scotland that I would have ever had that conversation with anyone. I had some intervention conversations that were quite good. <laughs> didn't like them, but they were good. I worked in BP when I was doing architecture in my college years. I was just drafting and and um, a, a guy gave me a long talking to at the end of my time there just about, you know, you're not very focused. You need to, you really need to think about your career and where you're going. And, and it was really, I didn't like it, but it was really good for me. But the, the American version of that was better where they, they actually had an architect lay out a drawing and he said to me, you know, this is your drawing. I was like, yeah, it's my drawing. And he goes, it's not a very happy drawing. And I'm like, what is a happy drawing? Am I fired? What were you talking about? You're trying to say something I don't understand. And it took me years to really learn what that meant, you know. And he was saying he'd seen the artwork that I do and he saw drawings that I did. And the drawings were not, didn't have the same creativity in them. And I'm, I mean, this is when we were hand drawing. And in the States, it was in pencil, which, you know, in, in the UK, it was all in ink. But, but he was just saying, I don't see any expression of yourself. Not that that matters in a drawing. I said to him, this is the cocking detail for downtown Holiday Inn. I mean, what, what, would you, what do you want to see in it? 
But years later, I actually wrote back to him and said that was really good input because he, he said they actually changed my job. He said, you seem not happy in architecture, so maybe you should try something else. So I did try other things. They gave me a day off a week, and I just started working a four-day week just to try other things. That's a, a principle I have here in the company too. It's like if someone someone maybe doesn't belong, maybe they're in the wrong industry, or they don't find a place where they're happy. You know, a place where they feel like, you know, what they're doing is meaningful. And so I don't mind if people leave or go somewhere else. I'm like, I want people to be happy. And so if you focus that way, it's when I work with our HR team, they say, well, okay, you have some people who are low performers, you have some high performers. I'm like, no, I just want high performers. I'm like, well, that's unreasonable. And I'm like, I know, but I, I want that. And so we've, we score in the company, the departments I have score higher than everybody else. Everyone's kind of, in the average, like, would you would you recommend someone working here? Or, you know, average in the company is about 40% would say yes. The corporate jobs are about 60% that are a bit more in with the bigger picture. But all my teams are up in the 90s. You know, we had a teamwork score of 100% during COVID. And I asked them, have you, have you ever seen this? And they said, we haven't seen it, but we asked the company who made the survey and they've never seen it. So people, and those are blind surveys. No one knows who said what. So, so I, I have pretty high engagement, performance. People are happy. And, and if they're not happy, I just help them get happy. It's like, and if that means leaving, you can leave. There's, do something you love doing, you know. Do something you're good at. Go to a different department. If you don't like me, that's okay. Go work for someone you like working for. It's all right. That's so true. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that. A lot. It's funny because in Varco they had these rules that you had to move people. Like it was part of life. At the end of your review, it said, "Okay, where should you go next?" And then there would also be a, a no leader could ever stop you talking to or moving anywhere in the company. It was a rule. Then we got bought by National Alma, and that changed. And the rule became you can't talk to someone for a job opportunity unless you talk to their boss. Which is crazy, but that's how people think. And so people call me and they'll go, "Hey, I want to talk to this person," and I'll be like. Never call me again. You can talk to any of my people anytime because I don't own them. They're free human beings. What a crazy thought that you would call me to ask. I hope I'm a good enough boss that they will tell me, but they don't have to. And it's very counterculture. But when I teach it, I just tell everyone to behave that way because it's just a better way to behave. You know, it's, it's all scarcity. Like I have talent, I'm going to hold on to them. And you just make people miserable. You got to have a free flowing, let, let people find the right path for their career, you know, and support them. No, that sounds really good. But you sound like an, an amazing boss, actually. I hope so. Well, I, I had great bosses, and that's just like it's, it's all about the influence of others. I think when you've had a good boss and you've had good reviews and it's all been healthy, you just behave differently because you've you've had great treatment and you're like, I'm, I want that for everybody else, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So is there anything that you feel that has been really challenging over your career? Oh, lots of things. It's life. Lots of challenges. Mostly getting in trouble because I, my boss does these external reviews of the direct reports, and he, uh, they came out with this statement that I break glass easily, which I think is being Scottish, that you're not afraid to say anything to anybody. But it caused fear in my in my peers. They didn't like that I would mess with their business or do things without that I thought were right not looking for anybody's, you know, buy-in. And so um, probably a lot of the issues I've had in my career, because when you have issues in your career, you always externalize it and say, well, it's that person or it's this situation or 
you always blame something else. So when you finally get to what is it that I'm doing that's causing it to happen, that was, I mean, here I am 31 years on and probably was told maybe four years ago, five years ago, this information that that's this, they said, you're, you're a great performer. You perform in the top of what you do, but um, here's a place you could improve. And I was like, okay, well, and I, at the time I was just had so much baggage with other people. I'm like, oh, it's tough if they don't like it, you know? And then over time, I'm like, no, I have to fix this. So it's been, that's been a hard thing to do to go back and build relationship with people where you've not be, not behaved well. It's like, oh, I have to fix this. You know, I have to go because I, I was all, this is the right thing to do. And these people don't understand it. I had to change to, well, I need to get them on board, you know, I need to. And that's really just at the leadership level. Generally down in the company, I've done all right with buy-in. And lots of failures that if you think, in terms of failure, um, it would have been much, you know, would have been fruitless. But um, most of them had lessons for me, you know, that helped me grow. So learning to to fail at something and then go, okay, what did I learn from that? You know, how can I change? So I had a lot of that, a lot of bad failures that usually were right before big successes. Almost everything I've done had a failure element to it because I tend to be kind of a, a new invention person which means almost everything you do is going to have failure elements in it. and um, But it doesn't mean that that's a style of a human. That's just a learning style. If a baby falls over when it's starting to walk, it's not that it's not going to walk. It's just that that's the process. You've got to try and try, and then eventually you walk, and you develop muscles, and you develop ways to do things. So mm-hmm. There's a lot. Some people just see me in that light. In fact, one of the guys I deal with who, in the leadership team who grew up with me in the company just thinks I'm the guy who brings all the pain. And uh, that's what we've had to work on, you know, because he, he wants no new invention because it's all been painful. But at the end of the day, it's what made our company huge. So it's been a, it's been a good conversation to have with people and just get to the – I'm in the best place now in the technology side. It's really all about that, all about trying stuff, you know. So and it, finds new businesses all the time but it is very painful so how do you go about handling the 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 maybe not so much successful times that you've had then um different ways i mean sometimes i mean i struggle with depression so i mean i think sometimes bad things happen and you can you can internalize it all but learning to talk about that and do something about it has been healthy you know learning to to not take it personally and start to understand yourself has it's been it's been all right, you know, because now now it's doesn't it doesn't bother me because I took it all personal early. Because everything you do you take personal and then you have to just go, this is just what I'm made to do. I just need to keep going after it and be happy doing it. And and when you finally get some success out of it, it's easier. Cause you can say, well look, it does work. This this thinking does work. So yeah. I mean, it's it's a long story. It's a long journey. Maybe I should write a book. <laughs> you should. I think you should write a book. Yes, yes, that is. Yeah, I think so. I think you would have a great story, actually. It's just I don't write though. <laughs> I'm a dyslexic. <laughs> I'm actually doing a, a leadership class outside of the company. I've done it inside, but we've taken it outside as part of my nonprofit. And um, there's a PhD I work with in uh, in behavioral psychology. And so she, she, we, we matched a lot. What was nice was a lot of my theories that had just gotten through practice had a lot of scientific backing, which was really helpful. So often I'd say, this is what I think. And she'd go, okay, well, this is, here's the science. Here's what we've learned. 
So it's a really, a really good partnership. But she, early on, she goes, you know, this is a book. Like what we're doing is a book. And I'm like, I don't write. And she goes, well, I do write. So maybe, maybe she'll be the one to help me do something with it all. But the idea of writing just as much as reading is terrible. That's one of my big weaknesses that um, social media and uh, digital tools have been really helpful because I'm, I can skim a lot and I can get through a lot and I don't I've had 20 years with no paper in my office you know I just I just couldn't file anything had a lot of lot of just functional things that look like failure in my style when it's more that I'm more of a creative brain and uh, and I have dyslexia so I mean my the CFO and CEO both gave me some feedback on some bad writing that came out of one of my group and it was mocking in in its tone so I just sat them both down one-on-one and said, listen, I'm not reading any of this. And if I did read it, I couldn't understand if it was good or bad. I've, I've not read a lot in life. It's just not me. I, I'm, I just learn differently. And so you need to talk with my writers, not with me. And they were both shocked. Because to them, they're both Ivy League, you know, extremely strong, you know, literate people. And uh, they've just, they've accepted, I'm okay with it because I'm good at lots of things and that's just not one of them, you know. So... Yeah, that that when you think about writing a book, I'm like, oh, it sounds like a nightmare to me. But I like that. I like that. I do like teaching, so it's uh, it works well. So maybe maybe my friend will will help me to do something like that. So what do you teach then? Mostly, mostly, and well, this is conscious leadership. So it's getting people to understand themselves first, and then their circle, and how it's supposed to influence them, and then how to impact communities. So it's kind of a three part class that we do we're doing it at otc i think let's have a session at otc no that sounds really interesting it's a it is i mean it's very we we did it very lightly we were just i work in a we started an organization that that helps survivors of sex trafficking that was just a means we do different events to draw people in to teach them a little bit about the subject to just get the awareness up and um, so, yeah, that was just a thing we did. And it was fairly skimming, really, the subjects, but but it was helpful. So there's lo- there's tons of depth to put into it. But uh, that idea of just self-circle and then and then community is, uh, is a really simple way for people to think about, you know, how to develop. Because everybody wants to do all the other things. They want to do the community or they, they want to do influence their circle and learn about their leadership, but they don't want to do the work with themselves. And that's, that's the hard part, because that's the hard work. If you really want to change and improve it all starts with yourself and and that's uh that's not what they teach in leadership school they teach how to look good they don't teach about why where's the bad fruit coming from in your system you know they just say let's look at the good fruit you know and you have to help people understand what's causing you to behave certain ways so that would be really interesting actually it's it's, it's not fun <laughs> it's not fun to Think about the stuff that makes your the negative things happen in your life, but it's it's really important in leadership. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing damage, and you don't you don't mean to, you don't want to, but but you're doing you're affecting people's lives, you know. So it's helpful for people to know what are the things I'm doing. For just being Scottish, you get a bunch of free stuff, you know. In my last class, I said it was we did it as a interview session and a bunch of Scottish people afterwards were like that was really painful as a Scottish person just hearing the stuff we have in our being that, that is actually destructive I know that we want to know you know I was like yeah that is the problem we don't want to know but it's good to know it's 
good to work out what you know because i mean you're, you're it's a it's a negative disposition just generally when you look at americans you're like oh they're so positive it's ridiculous but somewhere in between is the truth you know that there's it doesn't have to be a fake thing but it does it does mean you need you can you can be more positive and help people you know okay how does your current role compare to your aspirations as a young boy i had none <laughs> i had none i don't know that i had any expectations i didn't know what i wanted to do i mean i was good at technical drawing so i thought well maybe that's what drew me into architecture i think my granddad gave me a, a t-square and a, a, a board at one time somehow that made me think this is what i probably should do but yeah i didn't have i wanted to be in a band and i was and i tried that and i didn't like it I was really surprised. It was like, this isn't life for me. But um, it was an interesting experience. That's what kind of was drawing me off to the side when the guy from BP intervened because I was more interested in music at the time. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I, I mean, I just had a, I was married with a six-month-old when I got hired and I was just like, I just need to look after these two. So I was, it was really just, this is good money. We'll see how it goes. And then over time, they kept getting feedback from these people who I wasn't looking for feedback. I, you know, you grew up in Scotland. You're not not really looking for any feedback oh, from yeah. work. You just want a paycheck and leave me alone, you know. And then, but they kept talking, and and it started to make sense. And I was like, hmm. so I'd never really thought about who I was or what what I could do with that. And uh, they saw really strong things in me. Which I mean, if you look at all my school reports, I mean, based on just dyslexia, people couldn't even tell what I was writing. Is it making sense, or does he know anything? Is he bright? We don't know. So um, to have people give you good feedback was really surprising. They saw things in me. I was like, wow, it was really helpful. Maybe unhelpful at first because I got ambitious and that was really bad. The, the ambitious me was horrible. It was about three years of just ugliness, you know, thinking I have to make it happen for myself. And nobody, I mean, people followed me, but and we did good things, but uh it was a, it was a weird wild success. My first three years in California was was wildly successful, and then I walked, which I was just burned out. I just thought I can't keep going at this pace. I can't live this way. And so then, when I came to Houston, I got a chance. Still in the same company, just changed in in the part of the company I was working. And I got to revisit what do I want? You know, how do I want to live my life? And that that was a better balance. That's when I started to learn about the importance of my health and my mental state. So, yeah, I can't remember the question. (laughs) 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 No, you answered it amazingly. Thank you. So is there anything in your career that you still want to achieve? Yeah, I mean, there always is. I I have a, there's things that have bugged me for years. So, I mean, from when I started, I think my first year I found Iron Roughnecks and that was taking people's hands away from, from, uh, you know, dangerous places. And I've just here, I've got a rig that I run with robots and I just took the cabin off the floor. And so something that made sense to me is why do we have operations where we sit on top of something that can blow up? It makes no sense. And so for me, that's a, that's a big one for my whole career. I drew these robot systems in 1997, just using industrial robots because we were making our own giant machines. And now I have it. You know, I've had two years running the robots. They're starting to go out to rigs. And so there's things like that. There's always stuff. I mean, we've started a renewables program here and we're doing a ton of renewables. 
stuff, which I kind of like. I like the energy transition and trying to make it economical. So we have we run a team upstairs here. And about seven years ago, I just told them, okay, just think of anything to cut any renewable cost in half, just anything. So they do. They've, they've started. They've, we've got solar panels out here we've done work on. We've got a system that builds uh, towers in the in the field for, for wind towers, which saves tons of money and allows us to get taller. You know, there's just a bunch of things they've done here. We've done a bunch of geothermal that hasn't paid out, but we were hoping, you know. So there's there's just lots. There's lots. It never ends for me. I'm a, I I like inventing, but I I think I like going somewhere that people want to be, which is where probably energy transition helps. But I just like watching people, you know, find amazing talent. I have a whole film group here, and they're they're going to do a documentary release coming up, and um, that's not really in our things to do, but we do it. This guy was a uh, shield shaker screen designer. Now he makes films and writes music and. And we, we, we do all this stuff and we could never have paid someone to do it. So I just, I just like that. I like finding people and, and making them really find their, their passion, you know. So that never ends. There's always new people. There's always new things to work on. So, but I do think, I do think having, feeling like people have it, like I'm not needed in a space makes me, uh, makes me happy. But then I usually go find something else. It's kind of why I do the, the nonprofit stuff as well. The, the change the world side of me is uh, is is kind of lit up by that is because the trafficking world is uh, is shocking and, and we need to do something about it. So that's still in, in the back as well, back in my mind. And my position helps me to get into doors and to get things done with that. So kind of like that too. So what's the most exciting project that you've worked on then? I. I really liked packaging when it because it was what I'd studied in college. Why why the Americans were doing well in London? It was the same idea. It was integration of systems and understanding of of the, the the mechanisms of business combined with the psychology of people. Is how do you get people to stop wasting time doing work um, that is not necessary? So integration was really fun, and we built hundreds of drilling rigs. That, that you know we had huge market share. We had. They're all standard, which I had wanted for the digital stuff we're doing now. So all of our automation now plugs in quickly. I mean, it's it's been it's I'm very proud of all those years. You show me any drilling rig in the world offshore, and I know what's on it. You know, I know everything about it, and I just most of the new ones I had a big part in the design of them, and I love all that. You know, so I'm very proud of all that work, and that that really made our company. You know, the size it became. And it, and it failed horribly at the beginning. It was a really nice, right on the edge of them firing me, you know, and uh, calling the whole thing off. And suddenly it just became this massive success. So that was fun. I mean, it wasn't fun in the middle of it, but the outcome was really fun. And I, I, I really enjoy drilling rigs and the work we've done there. So that's been fun. Okay. Leading on from that, I was going to ask you if you had any career disasters then. Oh, so many. So many. And and they all felt like the end of the world, you know. I mean, if I think, I mean, my first, the first big package I got, I mean, we'd already, I'd been doing packaging work with us. Um, I can't remember, it was, it was partially my job. We did it with teams and we packaged and we built. And we were all separate companies in a company. And it was just a disaster. Everyone would blame everybody. And then nobody would buy anything from us. We had this just sudden lull where no one was interested because it was such a disaster. Mm-hmm. Most of because of my creativity, I've been like every single thing was different. 
I actually have a class I do on pipe handling systems and I explained the first 36 systems and they were all, every time we built, it was new and um, I had to build standard. And so that first package was still custom, but it had everything in it. Uh, there was only two rigs being designed and built in the world. So one was immersed in Copenhagen. So I just flew to Copenhagen and parked myself outside their office and uh, it took him a while to work out. I wasn't going away. And then eventually we started designing together and built this rig, which the foundations of that design is what everybody uses today. But the first one was a complete disaster. We lost money. They lost money. They had court cases with the with the um, shipyard, and that built. I think it was the ninth one of them, or something like that. And we went to the launch of it, and me and the other guy from Maersk, uh, the the shipyard people were like, "How did you both survive that in your careers?" And I said, "Well." They were on the edge of firing me for sure. All the presidents in the company didn't like me and I got told to stop doing what I was doing. And I had about seven or eight of these behind it that were all going to make money. And that's when they told me to stop because <clears throat> they were convinced they'd all be like the first one. And this, the other guy got put into production as a punishment. He wasn't, he was moved away from the drilling process. And But for both of us, it was such a nice moment. You know, there was hyper-productive rig in the end of the day. It was great performing, but then we standardized off of it. And uh, it really worked. And I'd learned a lot of those first, you know, four or five rigs and and got the standards, got the shipyards on board to standardize. And I had enough power as a supplier to say this design's okay for operations. And so we could standardize on it. And I had enough reputation. People would buy into that. And suddenly we were we were we're the only people who could deliver on time on budget. I think with Keppel we did a hundred rigs, all on time on budget. Sixty percent were actually early, and it's just never heard of in our industry. Everything's late and yeah, running because right. we like to engineer. That's right. That's right. But even I was going to say, at the brink when you were when you were almost going to get fired, that must have been really stressful. How did you even? handle that and even turn it around as well i lost i lost my temper <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning in singapore my boss called me and just said the management team's met we decided no more packages no more projects and i just was like who who are these people i just lost it on them you need to fire all of them this is ridiculous this is going to be the biggest thing ever and i've just went on and on and then i just said no i'm gonna i'm gonna continue and i continued when I think as they started to realize, because they sold, that's when Varco sold to National, they thought it was going to take the company down. I didn't know that till years later that that was why they did it, but they really believed all these projects I was bringing in were going to be a disaster. And we were competing with National Law well. So when we got together, all of my projects had great margin and all of theirs were losing money. And so the result was the Varco team ended up leading the rig business even though they were bought. By the, by the end of the year of the buying process, we were bigger and stronger than the people who bought us. So, yeah, it was it was not, it was okay. I was just so passionate. I knew I was doing well by that time. I knew, I mean, we're seven rigs in, hundreds of millions of dollars that we're going to be making off of these projects. And I, I knew we were on the right path. So I just felt, I mean, I, I struggled with angst the whole time with anybody in leadership, which probably... It's too much punk in my in my upbringing, <laughs> but I just they'd always say we're not bad people. So I, at the time, I was quite happy to you can fire me, I'll do all right. But I know what I'm doing is right. So yeah, I made it through. Some of that helped. I was going to go say 
If you if you did get fired, do you think you would have started up by yourself? Maybe. I know when we were for sales, someone there was a long conversation when we were in the in the sale process of of setting something else up. People offered me that. I mean, many times they kind of set up to build rigs and I mean I knew how to do those things. And I played with that all the time. I played with leaving constantly and I think people should. I think it's healthy. But uh, they always made it I mean, the freedom I've got here in the company and the trust is just ridiculous. Because I think after that moment, I was set. I mean, they they knew I was a troublemaker, but they knew it could be good for the company. And so they let me do a lot of things after that that I needed to do. So it was, um, it's, I had a lot of good input at the beginning where I would have, I mean, I was way, like would have followed the company to the grave, you know. And then, then when we merged, we'd lost a lot of culture. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be here. But, I mean, they were investing in young people, which mattered to me. And then I just started teaching leadership classes, whether, whether anyone wanted it or not. Just started saying, this is what I'm going to do. Because if the culture is wrong, I'm just going to teach the opposite culture and, and hope that that wins. And it did, you know, a lot of, you know, they, they were all command and control people. And they believed in fear and intimidation as a method to, to motivate everyone in business. And I just eventually decided I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to have fear or be intimidated. I'm just going to keep going. And more people wanted that than they did the, the old model. So, so yeah. I, if When my bosses paid the outside company to review all the leadership, they, they asked me why I wasn't in Silicon Valley. They were just like, there's no way you should be in oil and gas. But there's hundreds of me in Silicon Valley. <laughs> why would I go there? You know, I like being here where I'm different and it's valuable, you know. Do you think it's important to be different, though? Yeah, it's not easy, but it is important. It's critical for the company. I think that's where my boss is now. Is that he's just like, if we don't have you, I mean, I don't know. We'd just do the same thing all the time, you know. Eventually, that doesn't work. So, yeah, difference is critical, yeah. Okay, excellent. Because it is quite hard to to create a really good corporate culture as well. I think the word corporate is a bad word. It's not human, you know. There's no human baby. There's no babies we say are corporate. It's just not a good. It's not a thing, you know. So teaching it to be more human is a challenge. We've done all right, though. I mean, I think I think we're we're pretty healthy when it comes to letting people be who they are and not have the top manage the bottom. You know, it's like we constantly try to get the. Uh, businesses to lead everything and so that's why i like being at the top so we can manage that well and just you know make sure we're serving the businesses and not 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 telling them what to do asking them what to do you know so it works works good and i have a i mean we're in a team it's all people who grew up in small companies in our company so it never if it was corporate we'd all leave we'd all hate it you know we don't we don't behave the same way yeah i agree so what keeps you motivated when things do get hard then I'm never bothered by hard things anymore. If you ask my team, they'd be they'd tell you, no matter what goes down, you know, I'm all right. And so I think I think just watching people grow. Just if 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 you're in the business of growing people or letting people grow, it's uh, every day is good. Even the bad day is good, you know. So you just keep going, knowing that this is this is part of the journey, and you just keep going after it and. You know, if you have a balanced life, then it's not the end of your world. You know, you have other things in your life when when things are bad, you can go, I'm just going to go home and be with my friends or do what I like to do, you know. So, I agree. Works out. 
No, that's an excellent answer. I agree, actually. So what is your zone of genius, then? Zone of genius? Yeah. What's that? Well, what are you just good at? Well, I'm definitely, I can invent, but I don't, I don't enjoy it as much, which is really interesting. I learned that I don't need to invent. I don't, if it happens, I don't get happy. Um, but I have a, a very creative way. I think reading people, it was probably what could have been the thing that made me a horrible leader or a good one. My boss, early on, I was really unhappy one day and he came in and he said, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just hate politics. And he goes, what, do you think you're political? And I was like, no, I hate it. And he goes, you might be the most political person I know. And I was like, what? Like, how? And he goes, well, when we go in a room and we leave, you can tell me everyone's motive in the room. And he said, people can't see that, but you can see that. And I thought at the time, I'm like, I hate that stuff. So I, I, and I that's when I was at my kind of breaking point. And I was like, I need to turn that for good. I need to be really careful. If I'm good at reading people, I need to always be using it for the benefit of people, not not for my benefit. And um, that was probably a turning point. But but I think that is one of my superpowers, you know, is that ability to see where people should be and also to not learning not to tell them that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let them discover it and own it. So that when they, if I tell them and they do it and it fails, um, then it's my fault. If I don't tell them and I encourage them, then... When they fail, it's just part of life and they learn, you know. Mm-hmm. If you could turn back time, would you change anything? No, I don't think so. As, as much as that always seems like a good idea for people. I, I think I think life's meant to be lived the way it is, you know. I mean, it's all it all adds up. I'm quite happy with everything as it turned out. It's shocking, really, how much I enjoy life. It's uh, I never expected that. But no, I wouldn't change anything. I was actually going to ask you maybe one sneaky wee question. If you were going to hire anybody, what would you look for? Actually, I don't. I don't look for. Usually, I mean, in interviews, you can do your best to find out who someone is. So you try and work out what are they really about. If you if you ask anyone who's who I've interviewed, it's they're always shocked by the questions. Um, but they're more to un unhook them from who they are trying to be and kind of find out who they really are. And then when we get people, I don't even hold them to their job. I just want to find out what are you great at and we'll change the system to get the greatness out of people. So I, I just think everyone's got stuff. But we, I, I think different is good. It's a hard discipline to, to pick different, you know, because you pick like you. That's what everyone does. They pick people who are like them and that's not healthy. So, yeah. I, I I don't do much hiring now. I've trained my team and they do most of the hiring and they're they're at a really good hit rate at this point. We've had moments where I've had to go, I'll meet someone and I'll, this is my one of my skills that's a problem. I'll be like, ah, that was a bad fit, you know, for the team or for where we're going. Because I think anybody who wants to work hard, loves what they do and has a serving mentality, those those people always do well. If people are very self-interested, it's usually usually not going to work for me. There's jobs, there's jobs that need that, which is fine. It's just not in my teams. Excellent. No, thank you. That's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank David for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. 
that brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.